I'm Jim Daly, and on today's Focus on the Family, we're going to hear the story of one couple's difficult marriage and why, after three and a half years, the wife, Juana, left this note for her husband. Dear Terry, I have decided to move out and am staying with a girlfriend. I cannot be married any longer with all the uncertainty that I feel. I am sorry that our marriage did not work out. You don't need to try to contact me. I'll be in touch in a couple weeks to get the rest of my things. I do hope the best for you. Juana. That note sounds desperate and hopeless. And that's Juana Michaels, and we're going to hear more from her in just a moment. The good news is that Juana and her husband, Terry, did reconcile their relationship with the Lord's help. But it was a painful journey, and I want you to hear this journey because it will give you hope, especially if you're suffering in your marriage. And Jim, I know that there are couples, there are husbands and wives listening uh, who are right there. They're, they, they resonated with that note. Um, you've maybe reached that point where you've had enough. Uh, There's just too much pain and anger, and there's no forgiveness. And those are serious problems. And uh, we would urge you to stop and listen to the program today. Now, with all that said, uh, Juana, I want to welcome you to Focus on the Family. Thank you. You are one brave soul because these are the kinds of things and discussions that many couples, particularly Christian couples, are going to hide because it's uncomfortable to talk about this stuff, even though you have now reconciled. Um, but those were some dark years for you. Let's start in that place where you married, you were both successful, uh, you were working for companies on the fast track, and uh, set that background for us. Uh, why did you think you were going to make it in the first place? Why did you say yes when Terry asked you to marry him? Well, I was in love. We had met during college. He was my college sweetheart, and we married right after college, and we really had everything a young couple would want. We had just built a home. We had great jobs with Fortune 500 companies. We had lots of friends that settled in Raleigh where we both went to school, and when we were freshly married, it was like playing house, and we really enjoyed those early days. Juana, let me ask you this. Did you and Terry have premarital counseling, which at Focus we believe in? There's a lot of research that shows that if you have 10 hours minimum, it really reduces the chance of divorce. But how did you and Terry go about premarital counseling? We had some just a couple hours, I would say, with my home pastor. I wish, Jim, we had had so much more. You were getting married. You had kind of optimism. You were both very successful, attractive couple. It was all seemingly moving in the right direction. What pain was underlying that? Because I'm sure people would look at you and Terry from the outside and think, oh, what a great couple. They got it all together. And it was fun. In those early days, it was like playing house. We had a little kitty where we kept money that we had been given as a wedding present. And really, it was until two years into the marriage that I became disillusioned. And and how? What were those? Well, it was typically on Saturday morning because I really didn't have any hobbies. Terry did. He'd grown up from a young child playing golf and working on MGs. And he would uh, clean his car and wash his MG and put his golf clubs in. And he'd be ready for a great Saturday afternoon. The sun would be shining. And here his young wife was inside the house crying. So he's thinking everything's 
great. Yes. This is just the way I had planned it. I've got a wonderful wife, and we have great careers, and, yes, and I get I, to play golf on the weekend. I kept, Did you ever say to him, honey, I'm lonely? I told him I didn't want us to end up divorced, that something was missing in our marriage, and he really thought that I had a problem. And he now sees that we had a problem, because if you have a problem in marriage, it's both of your problem. But he was happy, and so he just said, you know, you, you need to figure out what's wrong. But I just kept telling him something is missing. Something's missing in our marriage. And I was to come to a conclusion, a wrong conclusion, that I had married the wrong person. So the the circumstances of your marriage dictated to you that he was just the wrong guy. Yes, he was the only boyfriend I had ever had. We had dated all through college and married a year afterward. And I began to think, well, it, it must be that I've married the wrong person because he's not like me. You see, I didn't know, Jim, that men and women are totally different. At that time, <laughs> I thought they were exactly the same. So I thought, he's not like me. He doesn't understand me. I must have married the wrong person. Yeah, and in reality, you married a man, <laughs> I mean, a different person. Yeah. Wanna, let me ask you, in your book, Choosing Him All Over Again, you talk about seeds of discontent, and it's you're laying that groundwork right now, and you're telling us that early in your marriage, two years, which ironically, you know that uh, about two years in any marriage, that's when the, the fascination, the uh, euphoria of the relationship begins to wear off, researchers say. It's about at that two-year mark. And so disillusionment is kind of the common thing because he doesn't love me the way I thought he would love me. It's not that Cinderella romance I thought it would be. And you kind of settle into doing life together, paying the bills, working, kids come along, etc. But what were those seeds of discontent? You, you've shared that one where you're now thinking he's not the right guy. That's maybe a a pine tree of discontent. You think he's now the wrong guy. But in the book, you talk about that little preparation for marriage, which we spoke about. Different perspectives was another one. What were those different perspectives that you and Terry, was that the hobby and the golf and the, I don't want to be home on the weekend and you were feeling isolated? I wasn't the best housekeeper, and at that time, I didn't even know it. I, <laughs> I, I know Terry just asked me to wrap the lettuce better, and and other things that he was actually much better at than me. And I thought he didn't care about our relationship. He just he just cared how I wrapped the food and put it in the refrigerator. Uh. And I, I didn't fold the towels. I didn't put them in the closet neatly. I just kind of threw them in there, which is, is horrible to admit. But I just wasn't a good housekeeper. And I thought, he doesn't care about this relationship. I need to find someone that's more like me. I've married the wrong person. And I just became so disillusioned. I, I would think if he, if he, if he, because it would be years later, Jim, before I would learn the two things that would prevent any couple from getting a divorce, seeking unity in the marriage and seeking the good of the other person. I didn't know those things. I just thought about myself. I just selflessly thought about me, that he didn't understand me. He wasn't like me. And I was at the center of everything I was thinking. Well, what was that final straw? You talk about that in the book where there was that moment where I guess you then decided to leave. Was uh, there what was that incident that Terry offended you or how did it play out? I had gone away on a business trip for some training for the company I worked for and while I was away that week I was exposed to so many people and so many personalities and the teachers all had so much charisma and in my mind 
I began to compare Terry to these other men. And I thought they were so funny, and I thought they were so different, and I thought, comparing them to Terry, that he just didn't measure up. And did that, um, in that context, did that give you justification for now considering maybe I need to leave him because he's not right for me in all these ways? In my mind, for the first time, I began to muse about not being married. And on the plane ride home, I began to think about not being married. No more crying. We had, for about a year and a half, had those Saturday morning crying sessions. And I was done crying. And I finally made a decision that I was leaving. And I wasn't doing it as a ploy, as a chess move, to see what he would do to really get his attention now. No, I was done. I was totally, totally finished with the marriage. In fact, you you talked about it in the book, um, Choosing Him All Over Again, like jumping into a beautiful sailboat. So were you, what were you jumping into? Well, Niagara Falls was ahead, but I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. You see, I thought I knew. I thought I knew what I was doing, and I thought I knew what was best, and I did not have the Lord in my life guiding me, and I wanted to leave. I, I rationed that, hey, my rationale was we don't have children. Thank goodness we don't have children because I was still young yet. I was in my early 20s. So I thought, I've got to find the right one. He's not the right one. The sooner the better. And thank goodness we don't have children. You know, Juana, in the context of that kind of disillusionment two years into your marriage, you often think about your family of origin. What was your family of origin like, your mom and dad? Uh, Did they experience divorce? They both came from divorce. In fact, they both had multiple marriages. And um, sadly, my father was an alcoholic. He was not a mean alcoholic. There was no abuse, no sexual abuse, no verbal abuse. But sadly, he retreated in one end of the house, and my mother retreated to another. And it's not good for man to be alone. And so they had a lot of loneliness in their marriage. And I was really headed right down that path. Did it play into your own experience? It had to. And how did it? When you thought of you and Terry and what you were experiencing and that disillusionment. Did you think about your own parents and their experience and how you were maybe fearful of that? That you would end up like them? I knew I never wanted to be divorced, but I was glad that I was still young. So I think my my thoughts really were on what happened. I wanted to know what happened because I didn't want it to happen again. I wanted to get it right the second time. And I went to counselors. I regret that they were not Christian counselors. And I went to one, she called me Vanna, and she said, Vanna, you're a late bloomer. That's your problem, is you're a late bloomer. And I can laugh, <laughs> you know, laugh about it now, but really, it was so sad that here she was. Her advice to me, when you net it all out, was that I was just a late bloomer, and I was yeah. just now getting started. That came up a little short. Yes. Yeah, obviously it did. Did Where was the Lord in this picture? You mentioned you went to your pastor for a couple of hours of premarital counseling, but you it sounds like you weren't a committed Christian. And no. where was Terry in his faith at that time? We did not go to church as a married couple, but I grew up going to church. The church was just right behind our house. In fact, my father put up a little gate so we could just walk to church. He didn't always go with us. But I knew all the Bible stories. I grew up in choir. 
But finally, one morning, I decided that the answers must be in church because with all the counseling, I was no better off. I was still crying all the time, and I wanted to know what happened. And one day, I went back to a church in Raleigh. Uh, When you uh, mentioned that note at the top of the program, and if you didn't hear that, um, get the download because that note was powerful. It sounded so, if I can say this without offending you, decisive, maybe even a little chilly toward Terry. I'm done. Let's not work on it. Uh, I'll come by later to pick my stuff up. And also, uh, all the best in your life, Juana. I mean, it, it felt steely. So the the question I have for you is, how did Terry respond? Uh, you leave him the note. Did it come out of the blue for him? Yes, and he was devastated. He was devastated, and he wanted to talk, and he wanted to try to work it out. And I told him, no, no, that we were done. How did uh, how many months went by or weeks went by before you had contact, or what was happening for you? Months and months went by, and I wanted to be in search for Mr. Wright. I wanted to be available. I wanted to find someone that I could, because see, I was looking for romance. I was looking for love, and I was I knew nothing of the, the real lasting biblical love that the Bible speaks of, this self-giving love that's forgiving that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. I knew none of that. I didn't even know if I was a Christian. When I started going to that little church and he would talk to the Christians, I would think, is that me? No, I'm not a Christian. I love my husband. I can't be a Christian. Well, when I get my act together, when I do find someone and we marry, then I'll come to the Lord and then maybe he can use me. But he he sure couldn't want me now because I left my husband. Uh, You know, Juana, you're speaking to the hearts of many people right now, male and female, where they're not sure where they're at. Um, It concerns me that you could go to church as often as you did Mm. and not know if you were saved and that if Jesus had entered your heart and began to transform you, that breaks my heart because I'm thinking of my own teenagers Mm -hmm. as we go to church every week and Mm -hmm. are they getting the message? Thinking of that, speak to the parents about um, how to make sure Mm -hmm. that their children understand what it means to be saved uh, in Christ. I never remember one scripture read in our home. Uh, my mother's from another country. I do remember she had a Spanish Bible. It said Santa Biblia, and it was on her bedside. Uh, I do not remember us ever reading aloud the Bible. I never remember hearing any kind of practical training out of the Bible. I remember the pastor greeting people and welcoming them to the church and saying, this is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And I remember as an 8-year-old girl, a 10-year-old girl thinking, not really. He's just saying that because we're in church and he's a pastor. I mean, the most important decision you'll ever make in life is who you're going to marry. And I just had dreams of of being married one day, and I would have this knight in shining armor. And I remember at 10 years old looking into the bathroom mirror in our little blue bathroom and wondering where he was. He was somewhere on the planet. Where was he? And then all those years later, I came up so empty. I thought it was Terry. But then I thought I'd made such a huge mistake. And then when I started going to church, I met with the pastor. And he said to me, Juana, then he read Matthew 6.33 to me. He read, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
And he said, Juana, you're trying to make the wrong decision. You're trying to make this decision about your marriage, but you're making the wrong decision. What you really need to decide is what are you going to do with Christ? Wow. What are you going to do with Christ? He said, you need to commit your life to him. Will you do that now? And I said, no. He said, why can't you do that now? I said, because he is not real to me. And he wasn't. Jim, he wasn't real at all. He was just a Bible story to me. I had so many reasons why I couldn't turn to God. Just a sampling of those. I don't want to turn to God just for a crutch. If I do, as soon as my problems are solved, I'll be out of here. And I had the misconception that if you said you were a Christian, that was saying you were perfect. And I knew God wouldn't want me because I was a separated person. I, I had to go and do something first, get my, get my life together, and oh, then come you back. You know, Juana, let me interrupt there because you're saying something that I think we suffer from within the body of Christ and that idea of perfection, that somehow we're less loved by God, less acceptable by God if we're not living perfectly. And the scripture's clear. We can't do it perfectly. That's exactly why Jesus had to die on the cross for us. It doesn't mean it gives us a license to sin. But what it says is, I have provided the way. I am the sacrificial lamb for you. Do these things because you love me, not because it's mechanical. And that connection finally hit for you, right? Oh, yes. You know, I was looking to Terry to meet all my needs. If Terry, if Terry... No person can meet all your needs. Only God can do that. You know, I was looking for romance. I knew nothing of that self-giving love that the Bible talks about. So when did it happen? When did you said no to the pastor? Did you come back to him or was it somebody else? Or what was the time frame between you saying, no, I can't accept him? Several more months went by and I continued going to that church, even though I knew I was not a believer. I just kept going. And, and I, you're living separately from Terry. We're totally living separately. And actually, I was alone in my apartment. I had been praying, Lord, show me who you are. And Jesus, who are you? Will you show me who you are? And I was actually alone in my apartment. And I first gave my life to him one day. I was tired. I was actually just tired. And I, I didn't receive Christ, but I just yielded to God. I mm. yielded to God that May 5th, 1985, and just said, Lord, I'm tired of driving. You take the wheel and you take the keys and show me how to live. And it was actually a couple months later on the 4th of July, and it was 31 years ago, I can't believe it, that I was alone in that apartment. And one of the pastors had given me a book called Hope for the Separated by Gary Chapman. And it went across the table in a tug of war four times. And I I told him, I said, you need to give this book to somebody who was going to read it. But he won. He told me to take it. And I went to that apartment and put it as far away as possible on a shelf where I wouldn't have to look at it until that 4th of July night when I got it down because of a series of circumstances that I tell in the book. I got that down and... In an instant, the scales came off my eyes. I realized that I was a sinner, that Christ had died for me, that if I was the only person in the world, he would have done it for me. He's that kind of a personal God. He knew me intimately, and he stood there not condemning me, but forgiving me Mm -hmm. and loving me. You know, we wear crosses around our neck. 
we, we have crosses in our home for decoration. At that time, I didn't even own a cross. And I wanted a cross. I couldn't find a cross. So I got a clothespin. And I took it apart and turned it around with a rubber band. And I made a cross. And I wrote things on the cross that Christ had died for me for. One was my marriage. You know, a cross is an instrument of torture. And that's what Christ did. He paid the price. You know, that night I trusted him as my dying Savior. And he saved me from the guilt of my sin, from my shame. Man, Juana, I mean, that is powerful. And what you're saying there applies to all of us in our sinful state. It doesn't have to be a marriage context. It could be anything. It could be a prodigal child who's looking for hope, a prodigal parent who's looking for hope. Any one of us, that is really what it seems this life is about, is for us to recognize our sinfulness and turn toward God, not run away from him. Yes. And even now, Jim, after having become a Christian and being a Christian for all these some 31 years, I still have to go on with that same trust, trusting Christ, not as my dying savior now, but as my living savior to continue to save me from the power that sin has on me. Just last night at the hotel, we got to the hotel and my husband was resting and I was unpacking our suitcase. And I was hanging up my clothes so they wouldn't be wrinkled. And my first reaction is sinful. It is to think nothing but of myself. And I used all seven hangers to hang my clothes. (laughs) My clothes. For you see, we read in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But you see, after I became a Christian, after that night, the Bible became alive to me. All those names I couldn't pronounce as a child, they were real people that really lived. And now I wanted to read the Bible like a novel. It was all true. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, I, you can't master it. You can't conquer it. You just continue to read it. And last night, putting away those clothes, it was the Spirit of God that reached into my heart and said, why don't you save a few of those hangers for your husband? And then I looked over and I saw his shirts in his open suitcase that had not been unpacked. And the Holy Spirit just went a little further. And I know it's God's voice now because you begin to recognize his voice, just like a puppy dog that calls, a master calls, and the puppy dog knows his voice. And his voice said, why don't you hang up a few of his clothes? That's so different, Jim, from using Uh all the hangers for yourself. And that's the kind of God we serve that takes us from that that self-love, that love of self, that when someone steps on our toe, why do we say, ow? Because it's our toe they stepped on. But we are to move away from that and to receive Christ and to listen Mm. and hear, and he will lead us. Well, and one, I so appreciate that because when I look at, The why question, God, why did you create marriage the way you did? I think you're on the very core thing, uh, which is to become more like him, and that means selfless. That is the nature of our God, being selfless. That's his character. And uh, yet you had to wake up the next morning. You had a wonderful spiritual embrace of the Lord, and you gave your heart to him. Now you wake up to the world you're living in, and your husband's not living with you, and you're going to have to now begin to decide what you're going to do. And we don't have time today to go through that, but I want to start the program next time and talk about how God, from that day forward, began to change your heart first, and then eventually your husband's heart, uh, and how he reconciled your marriage, because that is the testimony 
Um, let's come back next time and talk about the real gift that God has given you. Can we do that? Yes, I'd be happy to. And Juana, we so appreciate your vulnerability in talking about the painful journey that your marriage took and how God literally transformed your life. And uh, we'll be looking forward to part two of your story. Our program was produced by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller. Too often, couples believe the lie that they made a mistake when they're married, just as Juana Michaels felt about her marriage. And I appreciate Juana's honesty and her vulnerability in talking about her mistakes, because I think that's what many, many couples need to hear. Swap the lies you may be believing about your marriage for God's truth that teaches us to die to self. I'm sure you want to hear the rest of Juana's story as much as I do, so be sure to tune in tomorrow for the conclusion of our program. And know that we're here for you if you're struggling in your marriage or any area. We have a great team of counselors and a range of ways you can connect. It may be through a prayer request or having someone pray with you over the phone. Maybe it's setting up an online counseling session. Whatever suits you, we're there for you. You can give us a call or connect with our counseling team through the counseling page on our website. Our resource offering today is a book by Tony Evans called Preparing for a Kingdom Marriage, a couple's workbook to connecting with God's purpose. You'll find it online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. Well, we wrap up SA Marriage Week today. Marriage is one of our pillars here at Focus and it's our joy to play a part in promoting the importance of marriage and encouraging couples to embrace an intentional approach to their relationship. I hope your marriage has been blessed this week. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you back next time for the conclusion of our program, and we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.